Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four on this last Lord's Day of twenty twenty one. Appreciate the fellowship on Friday and all the labor of love that went into making that possible. It was a blessing to fellowship with other believers in Christ. The encouraging conversations was a blessing to my wife and I, and I'm sure to everyone else. Maybe just a small taste of heaven when we shall all be gathered before the throne in the presence of Christ and in perfect love and unity. Oh, how we love his appearing. Amen. First Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, Paul says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is now laid up, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Amazing words of the Apostle Paul. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we have prayed as best we could. We have sung praises to the best of our ability. And yet, Lord, we feel still infinitely short of being able to worship and praise you on our own. How we do need the Holy Spirit of God, not only to tune our hearts to worship you, but to hear, to hear what he saith unto this church. Father, so often we take for granted the preaching of thy word, And we just hope something falls upon our hearts. Help us this morning, we pray, to give us diligence to hear and to keep your word in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. As feeble and frail as we are, we pray that you'd draw near to us through the preaching of thy word. That you would encourage us. That, Lord, that we would be able to hear these words that Paul spoke many years ago by the Spirit, and we would be encouraged by them, especially in these latter days. Father, we need divine comfort. We need to know what it is to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Help us, dear God, we pray, to glorify You this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, while I was studying this past week, this passage of Scripture, it came to my mind that over the years, though I've heard many believers declare their belief in the doctrine of sola scripturia, namely the sufficiency of Scripture as our supreme authority in all matters of faith and practice, yet I've found that many, if not all of us, at one time or another, have been guilty of twisting Scripture 
to fit either our own idea of doctrine or our own present situation. We boast of solo scripturia, and yet I fear we have often twisted it to meet our own selfish needs. From that great doctrine of election to the seemingly simple doctrine, seemingly simple doctrine, of Christian love and charity, we are often prone, even guilty, of putting our own twist on such scriptural truths in order to justify our own distorted view of doctrine or our actions and conduct towards others. I believe there's few who truly follow sola scripturia all the time. That's something we should constantly be aware of. If we think that it's impossible for us to twist the Word of God or corrupt it with our own understanding or ideologies, we are already mistaken. Some who believe in God's divine election reject any idea of Christian accountability and responsibility before God and man, even though Scripture clearly declares one is the evidence of the other. By the grace of God, Paul said, by the grace of God, Paul said, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than them all. Oh, you boastful Paul. No, let him finish. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with it, with me. Paul speaks of laboring more abundantly and yet gives God's grace the merit and the glory. How harmoniously do they sound together and yet such a mystery that they both come from one another or that one comes from the other. What about Christian love and charity? Well, we often choose ourselves how we wish to exercise this divine virtue. We set our own standards and then twist Scripture to soothe our conscience. Yet still fall short of loving one another as Christ loved us. So you see, we're all guilty of not following solo Scripturia. Therefore, we should take warning and be very careful and cautious when it comes to God's Word. Let Scripture interpret Scripture always. Because, beloved, we're talking about the eternal truths of God and no man, no man is capable of perfectly understanding the mind and will of God even when we have it written before our eyes. That's why I believe these words of the Apostle Paul to be most appropriate for us to humbly and prayerfully consider as we stand on the threshold of yet another new year, another new year. How often have I said that as a pastor? We stand on the threshold of another new year, of yet another new year, over 35 years as pastor. I've said that. The Lord's still not back. He's still not returned. He's coming, but hasn't yet. But these words demand us 
to consider them carefully as we fix, uh, as we are fixing to leave a new year and entering into a, or leave an old year, entering into a new year. For as the Apostle Paul, standing as it were at the end of his course in our text, would consider how he fought a good fight, finished his course and kept the faith. I can imagine Paul in prison pinning these words when he writes them, not just flippantly or quickly. He's considering that. I've, I've fought a good fight. I'm sure his mind raced back over the course of his lifetime. Maybe battles that he fought as a Christian, as a preacher. The defeats he experienced and the victories he had in Christ. When he talked of spoke of finishing his course, I'm sure he looked back over the course of his life and considered all those courses that God led him through and down that some men didn't even understand when he said, I must go to Jerusalem. And they said, oh, I must go to Rome and Jerusalem. And the elders at Ephesus said, no, you're going to go there. Holy Spirit's telling me you're going to be killed and crucified or persecuted. And Paul said, I'm going anyway. And many courses that Paul went through and that God led him through. I'm sure Paul considered those things. And other keeping of his faith, I'm sure Paul looked back over while he was pinning down those words, thinking of all the times that his faith was threatened by his unbelief, uh, afflicted by Satan, who was the accuser of the brethren, who was our adversary, a roaring lion, roaming about, seeking whom he may devour, resist what? Steadfast in the faith. Paul, I'm sure, considered that keeping of the faith. We too, with the coming of a new year, should give pause to reflect on our own Christian life. Are we faithful in fighting a good fight? Are we still on course? Are we still on course to finish the race set before us? And how fare we in keeping the faith? Have we been faithful in keeping the faith? I think these are things that we too must contemplate and consider as we prepare to leave this old year and enter into the new. I won't go in that direction. There's a subject of its own, but Christian meditation and self-examination is something that's lost amongst many Christians today, but very fruitful, very beneficial, very necessary that we meditate, but also examine ourselves where we are spiritually. Many people have problems with that phrase of renewing your faith and your relationship with Christ on a daily basis, but I don't. I know my heart is prone to wonder, prone to leave the God I love. So every morning when I rise, I open the Word of God and I pray. I seek His face and His fellowship. I know not what this day brings, but He does. Therefore, it's good for us to examine ourselves, to meditate on the words of God. And I pray that we could do that this morning as we examine this last verse here, this, these last words of Paul in verse 7. I have fought of a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. You know, at first appearance, when you read these words, one might believe that the Apostle Paul is boasting of his own accomplishments. 
Yet if you know the Apostle Paul, if you read his epistles, you'd say, surely that can't be the case. Not him who once said to the church at Corinth, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. What an amazing statement. Don't you enjoy the Christian life? It's an amazing life to live. That in our weakness we know the strength of God, of Christ's strength, and that it's made perfect in our weaknesses. Paul says, if I must need glory, I'll glory in the things which concern my infirmities. Not any worth or merit he might think he has. No, the Apostle Paul was boasting of something or someone far greater than himself. And I'll let him explain it. He said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, this same epistle here, or I'm sorry, First Timothy, said, being confident of this very thing. I'm sorry, that's Philippians. Philippians 1, being confident. Listen to his words. Being confident. Confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Being confident of this very thing. What is Paul doing here in verse 7 of chapter 4? He's being confident. Of what, himself? No, he says it. Being confident that he, which has begun a good work in me, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Didn't he say in Second Timothy 4.8, shall give me at that day the crown? No, Paul's not boasting of himself. He's boasting of Christ and what Christ accomplished through him. Get that blessed confidence that Christ would perform or finish such a good work until the day of Jesus Christ did not make Paul lazy, slothful, or idle. Like many people. Let me close this. That confidence didn't make Paul lazy or slothful or idle, but it inspired him. It empowered him to work out his own salvation with fear and trembling. Do you know of that grace? that doesn't lie dormant in our hearts, but empowers us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That is the Christian life. That is the joy of living a life by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. That is grace at work. To fight a good fight, that's what inspired and empowered Him. To fight a good fight, to finish his course, and to keep the faith, confident that it was God working in him both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You see how Scripture, with Scripture, gives us an explanation of Paul's statement? Paul seeing no need to go into detail about what he was trying to say or that he's not vainly boasting in himself. Those who knew Paul and knew the Christ whom Paul served understood clearly what Paul was talking about. Paul was not boasting of any self-accomplishments. He was boasting of the power of God's grace working in him to will and to do both Paul's will and to do God's good pleasure. 
I feel so sorry for those who plead what they call this hyper grace that God has done so much for us that we need simply to lay back and wait for God to come back. There's nothing for us. There's no accountability. There's no responsibility. They're afraid if they mention that, they're going to take away from God's sovereignty or that we're going to claim some kind of merit. Paul wasn't afraid of that. He said, I have fought. I have finished and I have kept, not in my own merit, but because of what Christ is doing through me. Grace does not lie dormant in the heart and lives of a true believer, but inspires and empowers us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling based on what Christ is doing, what Christ has done, and what Christ will do. I have kept... The faith. This is an amazing statement. Five short words, but it's amazing. These five words speak volumes of Paul's love, devotion, and commitment to Christ. And just how mightily the grace of God worked within him. I have kept the faith. Now listen to me. This is an extraordinary statement. Paul's at the end of his course, Paul's ready to be offered. His time is to bark his hand. He's looking back and he says this, I've kept the faith. Important to remember that. Why? Jude, if you remember, speaks of contending for the faith, which was once given unto the saints. Remember? Jude said, contend for it. Fight for it. Paul exhorted Timothy in his first epistle to fight the good fight of faith. He told Timothy, fight the good fight. Jude said, contend for the faith. In 1 Timothy, Paul even exhorts Timothy to hold faith. Holding faith and a good conscience. Hold faith. Twice in that epistle, he says faith and conscience is together. Uh, that's a whole more sermon, but that's an amazing thing to think about. Many people say they have faith, but they have no conscience. Why does Paul put faith and conscience in one bucket, one basket? Anyway, that's a different message. Contend for the faith, fight for the faith, hold the faith. Yet at the end of his course, and ready for his departure, Paul declares, I've kept it. Big difference. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, I've done all of those. I've contended for the faith in my life as a Christian. I've fought the good fight of faith. He says that. i fought a good fight. I've held on to faith. And now at the end of his life, the end of his course, Paul looks back and he says, I have kept the faith. It's amazing if you think about it. You know what kept means? Bless you. Kept is to guard from losing or injury. Listen closely. Because many people struggle with these words of Paul. Guard is to guard, uh, to, kept is to guard from losing or injury. It's to keep an eye on it. It's to hold it fast. It's to watch it. It's a militant term. Does Paul actually believe he's capable of keeping, guarding that faith, which alone is a gift of God? Paul said he did. I've kept faith. I've guarded it. 
from losing it. He said, I kept the faith. The reference is not only to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the faith is. Faith is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But also the faith which is from God. You're saved by faith. For by grace you're saved by faith and not out of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's that faith Peter described as precious. That faith which is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. That faith of the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him, Paul says, I've kept that faith. I've kept that faith. I've guarded that faith. Isn't that amazing? Listen to me, because we so need to hear what Paul is saying in these words. He's not boasting of any accomplishment. He's simply saying we have an obligation, a responsibility, a commitment to keep the faith that God has graciously given us. Strange that the Apostle Paul would even think that he himself is capable of keeping such a gift of God, don't you think? Yet listen to me, I'm going to show you what Paul's talking about. Paul is not saying that he has the authority or the power to keep such a thing. Because the author and finisher of it is Jesus Christ. Hope we're all aware of that. And like I said earlier, Paul even said he lives by the faith of the Son of God who loved him and gave it. So it's not even his faith. But Paul says, I kept it. What's he mean by that? Paul's speaking for himself. Listen to these words. That's why Paul says, I have kept. I have kept. Paul is not speaking for others, but for himself. Not of any ability to keep or guard the faith in general, but he speaks for himself. He's not speaking for Timothy or John or Peter. He's speaking for himself. At the end of my life, at the end of your life, at the end of my life, have we kept the faith? That's the question. Have I fought a good fight? Have I finished my course? Paul is saying for him, in his regards and his relationship and his understanding of faith, Paul says, I kept it. I kept the faith. I guarded it. I kept it alive in me. I kept an eye on it. I watched it. You say, are we actually supposed to do that? Doesn't God just take care of everything? Are we supposed to just let go and let God? Paul said, no. Paul says, I've kept it. But again, I emphasize, he's not speaking about everybody or for everybody. He's speaking for himself. Beloved, when it comes down to the end of our life, when it comes down to the end of our course, when we finished our course, it's going to come down what we have done with the good fight, what we have done in our course, what we have kept in regards of faith. Let me ask you a question before I go any further. Has your faith ever been tried or tempted? Has it ever failed? Has it ever felt weak? Even in those times when we think we've lost it, God, by His grace, encourages us and reminds us that it's all about Christ, but we still struggle, don't we? Don't we struggle sometimes? A lot of Christians are doing that now, especially in this time of the COVID 
mandates and vaccine and everything else, Christians sometimes their actions and their attitude and their conversations as though they don't have any faith in God. Like we were speaking on Friday, my faith is not in an amendment or in a constitution, a man-made document. My faith and your faith, all believers' faith, has got to be on Scripture and Christ. Regardless of how patriotic a doctrine or a piece of paper might be, it's faith. Our faith is always being tried. Like I said in the devotion, our faith is always being tried. It's always being tested. It's always, Paul says, I kept it. When Satan came to afflict it, when Satan came to assault it, I kept it. When my own belief rose up in my heart, I fought against it. Let me give David an example. David said, my soul, why are that cast down in me? I shall yet see God. David's speaking to himself. And even though we know it is God that strengthens us, it's God that worketh in us but the will and do, God allows us to know and experience that struggle. That fight that goes on with inside of our hearts. Read the psalmist. Read David. How many times did he struggle in his own heart? Remember when his own men were fixing to stone him because they took his wives and children away captive while he was off doing something he shouldn't have been doing or trying to do? It said David fell on his face and encouraged himself in the Lord. You ever had to encourage yourself in the Lord? This is what Paul's saying. This is the blessed, the glorious, the good fight. The fight of faith. The good warfare. Paul says, I've kept it. Beloved, this is vitally important to understand as we fight a good fight, as we run or finish our course and in keeping our faith. For it's not in how or why others fight a good fight or run their course or keep their faith, but how do we do these things? Let me show you something in Galatians chapter 6. Paul explains it even more here. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. What Paul says here. He talks about if one's been overtaken of fault, that we should bear one another's burdens. But listen to what he says here in verses 3 to 5. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Hmm. Listen to his words. But let every man, this is what Paul's doing in Timothy, but let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. That's what Paul's doing. Paul proved his own work. It's not comparing ourselves with others and their actions or works, but by our proving our own works in the sight of God's Word. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. They were comparing themselves one to another. Paul said, no, you prove your own works. Paul proved his own works in the sight of God's word and rejoiced in himself and not in another. I have fought, I have finished, I have kept. He doesn't speak for others, he speaks for himself. You know what our problem is? Too often we look at other people and what they're doing and we compare our works, we compare ourselves with others. We ought not to do that. You know, there are times in the Christian life where God sovereignly and providentially makes us or makes it appear that we're walking alone. 
Do you know that? The reason for that is that we might always find faith in Christ and prove ourselves, not looking to others, what they're doing and how they're doing it, but looking to ourselves. When you and I come to the end of our life, if we live that long and we, like Paul, are able to look back and say, okay, I'm, I'm, I know I'm, I'm departing, I know it's not long. When we get to that point in life, if we do, beloved, it's not going to be what everybody else did. It's going to be what you did. It's going to be what you and I do with the things of Christ. We're going to have to stop blaming others for our actions and our conducts. Stop blaming others for us not living faithfully. Stop blaming others for us not loving one another as we ought. We're not going to be able to do that. But there is a sinful comparison. I want you to see that in 2 Corinthians. There is a sinful comparison of oneself which Scripture condemns. Paul said in Galatians, prove your own work. Now look what the Corinthians were doing. 2 Corinthians 10, in verse 12. He says here, he's talking about the gospel in, in the ways, but on all things, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that compare themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. What are they doing? They're comparing themselves with others. They're measuring themselves up with others. Paul says, we're not going to do that. That's sinful. You don't compare to yourself or measure yourself. In Galatians, he says, proving your own works a lot different than comparing oneself with another. You ever notice, especially in this day and age of divisions and schisms, how a lot of Christians spend so much time tearing down other people? and their beliefs, and the differences in doctrines. It's almost like they take a joy, and there's a joy in it. Paul says, that's what you're doing, and that's not right. You can, that's, that's sinful. You don't do that. You don't compare yourself. You don't measure yourself with others. You prove your own work. Beloved, we cannot compare or prove our own work and how others are doing it. We've got to prove our own works in the light of God's Word and before Christ. How else could Paul say what he did? Because later on in this verse, or it's his chapter, like we said, Paul says, all men have forsaken me. Paul was in prison. He was fixing to be martyred. Most people say, you know, I've, I've failed in my ministry. I have done nothing. In all these years, and all these epistles I've written, I mean, it's not like they were all written yet, Right? Paul didn't see the outcome of all that. But Paul's still in the midst of a wet, cold, dark dungeon facing martyrdom. All men forsaking, Paul can still say, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Why? His eyes were fixed and stayed on Christ. He proved himself. Therefore, he had rejoicing in himself. Oh, let me tell you, I've been there, and I'm sure some of you have, but especially as a preacher, I've been there under the temptations when I've been tempted to follow what man says or what man believes rather than Christ. Oh, the temptations there, especially as a preacher. Well, you know, you ought to keep the congregation happy. <laughs> you ought to beware about people that's coming in. You, you want people to come in, so you want to please them. You want to be everything to them you can be, and you find yourself comparing yourself with Beloved, prove 
your own works. Examine your own heart. Have we, or are we fighting a good fight? Are we running the course that is set before us? Are we keeping the faith? He said, I've kept the faith. Now, Paul did keep the faith. Time does not avail me, but in regards to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul preached, defended it vehemently. Remember Galatians chapter 1, where he says, If any other come to you, preach another gospel, let it be accursed. Paul defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul defended it vehemently. He kept it vehemently. He didn't let it be compromised. He didn't let man compromise it. <laughs> Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and didn't compromise a bit of it. Regardless of how the world and false teachers sought to destroy and destroy it, Paul kept it and preached it faithfully. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Listen to what Paul says about the gospel and his preaching it. Stay with me a few more verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> In verse 19, For though I be free from all men, yet I have made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Boy, a lot of people struggle with that. Paul's trying to produce something himself. Paul, you're not going to save any if they're not elected. <laughs> Why are you doing all this? If they're elected, they're going to be brought into the fold. Paul, listen to what Paul said. I'm all things all men. I'm, I'm under bondage. I'm free. I'm a slave. That I might save some. Paul, what makes you think you have the power to... You see how they struggle with this? And watch this. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. And then he goes on to talk about the race and the fight that we looked at last week. And ends up in verse 27, but I keep under my body. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a cast. Boy, people struggle with that verse. What's castaway mean? Apostate. Paul, you're boasting again. You're trying to do something in the flesh, Paul. You can't do that. God's sovereign. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen, Paul. What are you struggling with? What did Paul understand that these people don't understand? They don't understand true grace. And that grace empowers and inspires us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. I've kept the faith. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, the power of God is in the gospel. In regards to that precious gift of God, and let me kind of wind this down, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, whose author and finisher is Christ, he said, I kept that. 
Listen to that. The precious gift of God is what Peter calls it. Hebrews, the writer says, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews also said Christ is the author and finish of it. But Paul says, I kept it. When my own belief, unbelief rose up, I kept it. When Satan afflicted me, I kept it. When the world denounced me, persecuted me, I kept it. How is Paul able to do all these things? Well, certainly not of his own power. I hope and pray we all understand that. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Through Christ, I can do all things. He strengthens me all things. It's through Christ. But knowing Christ and being confident that he would finish that which he started didn't make Paul idle, lazy, or slothful. It inspired Paul. It motivated Paul to be energetic. To go out and preach the gospel to every creature as though everyone was called. To fight the good fight of faith, to run his course, and to keep the faith. That all inspired him. It wasn't under his own power and his own ability, but under what Christ was doing in him. I'm telling you, the evidence of our relationship with Christ <coughs> excuse me, is going to be seen in the fruits of our lives. I don't care what anybody tells you. A lot of people rest in their salvation. Listen to me, and this is dangerous. Really, more than dangerous than Arminian, I think. A lot of people who profess the doctrine of grace, the doctrine of election, they rest their salvation merely in the doctrine of election. They're not, they don't worry if there's any fruit. Oh, God elects, so I'm one of the elect. I believe that. I read it. I understand it intellectually. And therefore, I'm one of the elect because I understand the doctrine of election. No, Christ said in John 15, You abide me, you bring forth much fruit. He said He created us unto good works. Look how often Paul tells Timothy about keeping up good works. Not to merit anything, not to earn anything, but because grace thrives in you. If grace is thriving in us, there's going to be fruits of that. We're going to fight a good fight. We're going to continue our course. And we're going to keep the faith. And beloved, there could be no greater exhortation for exiting an old year and entering into a new. God give us grace in the new year to continue the good fight, to continue the course that's set before us, and to continue keeping the faith, because believe me, that's all going to be tried even more next year. The way this world's going, they're going to try it. They're turning against Christians and Christianity now everywhere, and I'm telling you, all those things are going to be tried. God give us grace to fight a good fight, to keep running our course, and to keep the faith. Therefore, Paul says, henceforth, from this time on, in our text in Timothy, in close of this, he says, he says in verse 8, henceforth, from this time on. What a difference. A verse earlier, uh, one verse earlier, he said, or two verses, no, one verse earlier, he said, my departure, had my departure. He said, now the time coming forward, from this time on, for this time of his departure was at hand. He said, henceforth, from this time on, there is laid up for me, reserved, appointed, not deserved or merited. That's what it means. 
Paul is giving God all the glory again, which he always did. Henceforth, there is laid up for me. It's reserved for me. It's appointed. Not merited. A crown of righteousness. Do you think Paul is talking about his own righteousness? Of course not. Whom the Lord... I'm telling you, the Lord never left his mind, ever. I'm the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me. You ever contemplate something like that? Paul said he's going to, he's going to give me a crown of righteousness. He's going to give me. Not that day. And I love how Paul concludes his statement, and not to me only. Not only me. I'm not, I'm not any better than all them. He says, but unto all them, I'm not any better than anybody else. It's Christ who made me who I am. It's Christ who enabled me to do all these things. He's not only going to give this crown of righteousness to me, but he's going to give unto all them also that what? That worked hard? That labored abundantly? No. That love is appearing. Let me ask you a question in closing. Did you dwell a lot on his appearing? Think about that. Paul said to them who love what? His appearing. Sometimes we get so wrapped up, so caught up in this fight, in this course, in keeping the faith, that we lose sight of the end. I believe that's why Paul immediately puts henceforth. Don't stop there. This is temporary. It's only going to last a few minutes. This day, the day of battle, the sound of battle, the next day, the song of victory, something like that in one of the hymns. Paul says, no, don't, don't, don't dwell on that. Keep that, yes, in this life. But all that is because henceforth, from this time forth. One of our, one of our greatest desires and longings for a Christian is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And though we long and wish that and pray for that diligently, humbly, Lord, let us fight the good fight while we're here, run the course, and keep the faith. Many Christians today, and I say this cautiously, many Christians today are living simply in the hope that Christ is going to come back and take care of everything, and we're not going to have to go through anything. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not, script, that's not the language of Scripture. Scripture doesn't say, ah, just let the world go and forget about it. The Lord's coming back. Just sit back and wait for him. No, it says you fight. You finish. You finish. You finish the course. You finish it. May God give us grace to ever look to Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith. May God give us grace in this new year to fight the good fight, or fight a good fight, a good fight to finish our course and to keep the faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you now for your word. We thank you, Lord, how this last Sunday of 2021 has challenged us, Lord, to look back over this past year that we might examine our hearts, but Lord, also encourage us into the new. Lord, let us face this new year. I know time is nothing with you, but it is with us. 
in this new year, Father, I pray that we'd be encouraged to continue the fight. Give us strength to continue running because we so often grow weak. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us, strengthen us, encourage us, that we might keep the faith that this world is so diligently and vehemently attacking. Help us, dear God, we pray by your grace. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all things and ask that you'd be with the Stongard family. May you bless them, strengthen them physically, strengthen them spiritually. Let them know, dear God, we pray that they're loved and missed dearly. Lord, we ask these things now in Christ's name. Amen.